Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, Stakuya here, and before things begin, I just wanted to remind everyone that we actually have an audio book club that is brought to you by Chirp Audiobooks. So what is going to happen is that every month we have an audiobook that is heavily discounted for a limited time. This month's book is called A History of the World in Six Classes. Normally it's $18, but you can actually get it for a very limited time for only $3. If you like the podcast, if you want to support us, then please do check it out by seeing the description down below where you can find a link. Thank you, everyone, and I do hope that you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And welcome back to the podcast, my hoes. Oh my gosh, we have uh, we got something a little bit exciting here today. Something that is energizing, if you will. Caffeinated, if you will. In case you didn't... Have read... you been drinking the coffee, I guess? Let's not, well, yes, but also not today. Definitely not today. I, I wanted to drink some coffee, but also at the same time, I knew that if I did it at this point, considering how many things that I would be doing, if I had it right now, I would not be able to sleep. I would just be buzzing. And... Well, people like it when I talk, people like it when I buzz, that probably would be a little bit too much, even for you. I don't like it when you buzz. Like, I'm going to stop you right there. Remember that one time that you gave me two lattes? That happens all the time because you'll drink whatever I don't want on top of whatever you already had, which just leads to the worst possible scenario. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Focus yeah. up. Focus okay, up. focus up. Exactly. Now, if you didn't get essentially what it is that we're talking about, what's happening is that there is now an official history of everything podcast coffee. Gabby, do you want to give the name? The Lewis and Dark. Yes, it is Lewis and Dark, just like Lewis and Clark, which, if you don't know, really big historic American figures. Like, we're talking prime explorers. Like, like when you think of explorers in America, that's what you're thinking of. And I just, I love the pun. I love the pun. A lot of people cringe when we do puns, but I love it. It's, it Gabby, you don't have the boo option right now, but I know right now you're rolling boo. your eyes. Tomato, tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> As you would put it. Anyway, so what this is, is this is a collaboration that is between ourselves and a company called Tableau Roasting. Now, this is a bit different. So it's not something that is just a general sponsorship. This is specifically a partnership that we are working with Tableau to do a combined recipe. Like, this is the official history of everything podcast blend. Every time you purchase one of these coffees, it goes towards supporting the podcast. And I appreciate each and every person that does. If you want something like this, please know this coffee is something that is designed to be rich. It's very comforting. It's a little bit surprising. Like this is going to take you completely by storm and it's shocking. It's a really great choice if you just want something that tastes good. We're talking chocolate, nutty, sugary. The thing tastes like a mocha without ever actually having a bunch of chocolate sauce poured into it. I didn't know that was possible. But it does. It's just a really good blend. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. And I'm not even saying that because I own it. I just, I literally love it because it's chocolate. You know that, remember that scene from um from Spongebob, Gabby, where they're like trying to sell chocolate and it's the chocolate. I've never I actually I always seen, hated it. I've never seen Spongebob. I, I sometimes forget that and it just, it, it leaves me in a little state of shock that you haven't. Anyway, the thing is delicious. I love it. And if you want to support the podcast, then please check out the links in our description. Uh, you can also find it on our website. It's delicious and it's only $16. I appreciate it, each and every person that would buy it. But for now, we need to get into the podcast, which, as you can imagine, is about coffee. So coffee, Gabby, coffee is popular. You love coffee. I wouldn't say love, more so needed to survive because my job kind of actually makes me want to pass out. I mean, that's, yeah, that happened. And that's actually with a lot of people. And one of the reasons why they need it, it's like it, people effectively have a love-hate relationship with coffee. I get it. 
Like, you know it, I know it, we all know it and love it, or rather, we think we do because, again, as I said, for some of us, it's a bit of a love-hate relationship. But in the end, in the modern day, we all kind of need it, or at least something like it. For some people, it's tea. For some people, it's coffee. And there's actually a big fight online as to which is superior, tea or coffee. I'm personally in the coffee camp among all of that. I, I, I really am. It's really good because it tastes like hot chocolate if you do it right. And that's just... That is my ideal coffee. Exactly. No, exactly. That's so good. Anyway, coffee. So if you're looking at coffee, it's one of the three most popular beverages in the world alongside tea. And can you guess the third? Like, what is the third most popular beverage? Alcohol. Water. Which is a significantly better than the thing that your mind went to. Like, I'm going to give you. Let me live my life, okay? Listen, if you if your if your go to choice is either coffee or alcohol, I think that there's a concern there that needs to be said. But anyway, though coffee is the basis for an endless variety of different beverages, its popularity is mainly attributed to the fact that it doesn't necessarily taste good. Like coffee can be bitter, especially when you get a dark coffee, but it rather it has the you know invigorating effect that comes from caffeine, which. Caffeine is an alkaloid that is present in coffee, which I, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I'm not the scientist, Gabby. You're the scientist. Are you able to just define an alkaloid just off the top? Because it's like, I got a definition for alkaloid, but I've been trying to think about this. Like, I don't really, like, it, this seems too general. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But an alkaloid is any class of naturally occurring organic nitrogen containing bases. That's it. Like, that's. That's literally it. But you see, alkaloids, they're found primarily in plants, and they're especially common in certain families of flowering plants. In fact, as many as one quarter of higher plants are estimated to contain alkaloids, of which there are many, many thousands of different types that we've identified, but we don't really have any idea what the majority of these do. Like in the case of coffee, we know what it does, or at least we know what its function to us is, like how we use it, but that's really it we don't really know as much detail and interestingly enough i did not know this before researching stuff for this podcast but there are multiple types of coffee which we know because that's how you get different coffee types but specifically there are two plants that dominate the market i thought there was a lot more than that but i can really see where you would need a lot of only a few types when you're trying to mass produce generic coffee like if you got folgers right like think of the amount of coffee that Folgers and Starbucks and the other stuff sells, right? You probably don't have that many varieties, right? Like it's just, it, it, it's just, it's Folgers or it, or it's something like that where it's just the one type. Okay. Going back to alkaloids real quick. Do you want to hear a fun list of alkaloids? I do. Okay. 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 It is cocaine. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> Nicotine. Caffeine, morphine, <laughs> tryptamine. So I'm just saying. And we're, um, and we're adding caffeine into this. Well, the nitrogen, it's, they all have like a nitrogen. So, so it's a nitrogen ca base. Caffeine is one of them, yeah. Okay. Well, it's not like, okay. They just contain their organic compounds with like that are nitrogenous. I mean, we actually know that cocaine is technically natural. It's just also something that has been chemically treated in order to create. Yeah. I just love that it's like. All of these horrible, horribly hardcore drugs. And then here's your coffee, bestie. To be fair, people have died from caffeine. Like that is a thing. I still remember. Well, yeah, you can die from anything if you drink enough of it. People have died from alcohol. There was a guy, I think I remember it happened a few weeks ago or months ago. He was going to do his pre-workout. Pre-workout is basically caffeine. That's like what it is. And accidentally dumped in like 10 times the recommended dosage of it. And he had a heart attack. Okay, don't get me started on pre-workout. Um, yeah, just I'm not going to get so I'm not going to touch that one. Yeah, but okay. So the two types of plants that produce the majority of coffee, you got two. Coffea arabica or arabica and you have coffea canifora, which these two plants, they supply almost all of the world's consumption of coffee. Arabica is considered a milder and more flavorful and aromatic brew than Robusta, which is the main variety of C. canifora. You see, the, the bean of Arabica is it's flatter, it's more elongated, and it's more widespread than Robusta over a larger area of land. 
but simultaneously it's more delicate and vulnerable to pests, which requires a kind of cooler subtropical climate. Arabica must grow at heights that are between 2,000 and 6,500 square feet, not square feet, just feet. So it's 600 to 2,000 meters. It needs a lot of moisture. It has very specific shade requirements. And this means that it's going to be more common in places like Latin America, Eastern Africa, Asia, and Arabia, all of which are the leading producers of Arabica coffee. The rounder and more convex Robusta bean, as its name suggests, is hardier. It's more, you know, robust. Like, that, that that's literally what the term would be. And it can grow at altitudes from sea level all the way to 2,000 feet, which is more common. So Robusta coffee is, by that logic, it's cheaper to produce. You can produce a lot more of it. The, the You can produce it in greater quantities. It, it has twice the caffeinated content of Arabica, and it's typically the bean of choice for inexpensive commercial coffee brands. So if I was going to take a guess at it right now, Folgers is probably Robusta. And Honestly, considering what it is that we have, like what our coffee is, it's probably Arabica ben blends. Or or it might even be that. It might have some of that that is, but it could also be other coffee blends as well. These are just the two main ones. And again, the, the Robusta is the one that's more common for inexpensive brands. This is more common in Western and Central Africa, Southeast Asia, and Brazil, all of which are huge exporters of Robusta coffee. But it is, I guess at that point, we're getting kind of sidetracked because we're talking to the economics of it. So coffee, where did it come from? Do you know any of this? Like, it's kind of interesting. You see people like, oh, yes, with the Triangular Trade Network and all this stuff came from, you know, America. And we know, like, uh, potatoes came from the Indian Mountains. Uh, the tomatoes came from, like, the rainforest. Uh, you got corn, of course, that came from North America and Latin America. So I mean, that's that's what you got there. Those are those plants. Coffee is one of those that did not come from America. It actually came from Africa. Or at least that's where there's going to be a little bit of contention. Because, okay, depending on who you ask, Gabby, and I actually had a conversation with this today because I was filming the other, uh, not filming, recording the other podcast episode with Fat Electrician. And I told him about how one of the biggest contentious things that I ever said, apparently on any video is that coffee originated in Ethiopia, which apparently really, really, really pissed off a lot of the Arabs that listen to my channel because they say that coffee was actually produced in Arabia first. Like, that's where it comes from. There's a bit of debate, more than likely the plant, I think it was that if they were looking back at the genetics of it, that it did come from Ethiopia, but it was heavily popularized and propagated through trade because of Arab traders. But as I said, coffee more than likely came out of Ethiopia, but places all over the world have different legends on how the bean and the drink came to be. Okay, let me give you a few examples, which are, like, the, I got two of the most common legends that both make their case, one for Ethiopia and one for Arabia. So, the Ethiopian one is that you had this guy, a young Abyssinian, which that is Ethiopia today. At the time, it would be Abyssinia. He was a shepherd by the name of Kaldi, who he noticed one day that he had these goats, right? And they were behaving very strangely, which I mean, to be fair, Gabby, you've owned goats. Goats kind of behave weird in the first place. Goats will eat anything. They will go literally anywhere they want to go. You can be like, hey, goat, I'm going to lock you up because you, sh you should not be on the roof. Like, why are you there? And they're going to be like, oh, you're going to lock me up? Watch this. And then they'll figure out some way to like climb out of their goat pen. I mean, they will also eat literally anything. Like, have you met a goat? They yeah. do not care. I mean, I've, I've met goats at the petting zoo, but I haven't I feel owned like goats. The more, like the worse something is for a goat, the more they want to eat it. And it's just... I love them. Oh, that sounds like relationship advice. <laughs> <laughs> that one got a laugh out of you. <laughs> okay. So anyway, you got this shepherd where he noticed that his goats are behaving very strangely. They're jumping and they're in a very playful mood, which I mean, I guess his goats just were not very goaty. They were in a very non-goat mood. But this was after they had been consuming this bright red berry that was from a certain bush. And so in order to cure his curiosity about this phenomenon, he decided to try these fruits. But, of course, he found that they tasted really bitter. 
But after a while, he felt himself staying alert and kind of full of energy. So he picked some of the fruits, and when he returned home, he gave them to his wife, and she also reported the same effects on her. So they decided, wow, dang, okay, well, these berries? Only logical solution. These are a gift from God. Absolutely. I, these are a gift from God given to us. Like We, we got to tell people about this. So a few days later, Kaldi goes and he takes some of these fruits and he leaves or not, not, he leaves behind his family. He takes the fruit, he takes some of the actual leaves of the bush, and he takes it to a nearby monastery where he tells them about, you know, what it is that he experienced. And he relates all of this to the monks. One of them decides to follow him to confirm the incident, and after observing everything Kaldi told him was true, he returned to the monastery and convinced the other monks to try to cook the fruits and the leaves. Everyone's like who you here, and before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. But apparently, the outcome of doing this with the fruits was so terrible that they threw the remains in the fire, thinking that it was something from the devil. All of a sudden, this caused apparently a splendid aroma to begin to come out of the fire. And so they had a new idea. Okay, well, what if we roasted and boiled the grains in order to create a flavorful beverage? And after consuming the new drink, they found themselves in a mood to stay awake for long hours. They then used this beverage as a stimulant in order to allow them to stay awake much longer in order to pray late at night. So, you know, they wouldn't just get tired and go to bed. Hence, the discovery of coffee. Which, like, I get that, that that's how they say that it was done. Like, a guy had some goats, and the goats got really all jumpy, and he gave it to some monks, and the monks were like, yay, we can pray. All night. All night. They want to pray all night. They want to pray all night, baby. And now we just take it so we can go to work. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But hey, to the monks, that was their job. That was their work. That's what they did. That was their life work. So they pray 24-7. I mean, pretty much. But also monks, uh, there there were things called scriptoriums. Are you, do you know what that is? Do I look like the person who would know what a scriptorium is? Well, think script. What does that mean? Writing. Writing. Okay. So a scriptorium is where they wrote down all the books. All the books? Yeah, you know, before the printing press, and you had to manually write out each book. So when you were doing copies, like this is where they did copying of books was in a scriptorium. So they just rewrote the book that yes. was already written. Yes. That's how you made more copies of books was you had to manually write it. So that was the monk's job? Yes. a lot. Well, it wasn't just their job, but monks were one of the most common that had it because they were some of the few people who could read and write. Okay. That's actually a really fun fact because I just thought monks prayed and said wise things. Oh, they did a lot of stuff. Like, oh, for example, in Germany, monks were the big beer brewers. Monks brewed beer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Monks brewed beer. They brewed beer, mead, wine, like all kinds of things. Like they, monks were the ones that made alcohol, like a lot of alcohol. What else did monks do? Um, Depends on where you're going, but also monks were the ones that were typically keeping records. I mean, it kind of goes hand-in-hand with the scriptorium, but they were ones who, when something would happen to, say, a king, they were chroniclers. So they would detail the comings and goings of the kingdom and what would be happening. I want to be a monk. I mean, you you can't be. You can be a nun, but you, you wouldn't be able to be a monk. I don't want to be a nun. I don't like wearing. I stuff wonder that how you would look in a sh with a shaved head and a frock, but not like just like a regular shaved head where you're bald. I mean, something where only the center of your head is shaved, so you still have the hair that is going well, on the side. Okay, monks got to wear those like cool cloth thingies. Frock. That, right, they got to wear frocks that weren't fully covering. Nuns had to wear like long sleeves dresses. Wait, you don't think the frocks were fully covering? They draped them like potato sacks over I them. literally watch all of the monk movies where they kind of look like Avatar from The Last Airbender. That is not your... You are thinking <laughs> of very different monks here. You are thinking of very different monks. Okay. 
Wait, what were we talking about? Well, we were talking about coffee, but then we went into a tangent about monks. But uh, okay, okay, okay. So back to coffee. You have um, the Arabs. They say that coffee was discovered by a man called Omar the Dervish, which Dervish, it's, it's like a kind of religious sect sort of thing. And he discovered the drink by accident because he was a well-known therapist in a city called Mocha in Yemen, right? I need to actually look that up and see if uh, Mocha is the origin. Like, if this is where we call it that. I, I don't know. It, it's going to... I'm wondering... I always wondered why chocolatey coffee is Mocha. Like, why is it called that? I probably should have looked that up before this. But anyway, his abilities to cure people were including not only the use of traditional medicines, but also prayers to Allah. And so his special powers annoyed the ruler of the country, as well as the head of, you know, the Islamic authorities there. So they spread evil words about him in public. And he soon was faced with a lot of enemies that forced him to leave the city for good and to go into the desert. You know, he was being exiled outside of the port of Mocha. So he found shelter in a cave, but he was starving to death. There was there was no food. Like we're talking the desert. But one day he saw a small bush full of red berries. And so he thought the plant was a sign from God to save him. He picked some of the fruits, but when he ate them, he discovered that they were very bitter. So he decided to build a fire and to roast the beans and then place them in hot water. The beans were again hard to eat, so he drank the liquid to satisfy his hunger and his thirst. And all of a sudden he gained an enormous amount of energy and strength that lasted for days. Patients from Mocha then came to his cave for medicine advice because they still wanted to talk to him. But even though he um, he was technically in exile, he was still a really good therapist. So, you know, they still wanted to go to him. So he takes this new drink thing that he's invented and he gives it to them as a drug for all of their ills. And magically, they're cured. So stories about this miracle medicine begin to spread in Mocha, and his followers insist that his survival in exile is a sign from God. It is a religious symbol. He is actually innocent or whatever, or he's favored. So Omar was asked by the ruler to return to Mocha, and the religious authorities proclaimed him as a saint, which is just... Oh, are you looking up? Yeah, you're looking up a frock right now. The whole time I'm telling you the story, you're looking up a frock. This is what monks wore? Yes, that is what monks wore. They don't look like Avatar. No, they don't. Gabby. It's. I don't want to be a monk. I take it back. Okay, yeah, yeah. But go back up to that picture. Go back up to that one picture. Uh, Look at the guy's head as well. What's on his head? Uh, No, no. Open it up. Open it up. Look at the bowl cut. Open it up. And look at that head. Look at you see that chrome dome up top there. You see you're gonna did, shave. Did they have to do that? You shave that right up there. Yeah, that seems fitting. Did they have to do the bowl cut bald spot? You know, that's actually a very interesting question. That's like the stereotype that is associated with monks. I've literally I think it comes, never seen the stereotype associated I, with monks. I think it's something that came from older men and also um, wearing specific hats and things that would wear it down. But I don't know. Yeah, you were literally looking at a Tibetan monk. Because that's the type of monk I want to be. I'm here talking about Germany. You're like, oh, yes, Tibet. <laughs> Definitely. I know this. The Dalai Lama of Germany. That's what I was. Re- that's what I thought a monk. All monks looked like. So just write that down. I don't want to be a German monk. It sounds fun in theory because they made beer, but they had to wear frocks. I don't know if the Tibetan monks were actually allowed to drink alcohol or I anything like mind. that. I don't mind. This isn't about the alcohol. It's about the dope outfits. It's about the dope outfits. <laughs> well, at least we know where your priorities are. Okay, so, yeah. Omar goes back home. Uh, the religious authorities proclaim him to be a saint, and they name the new drink Mocha in his honor, which I really probably should have looked up if that is why we have the origin of the name Mocha because now it's making me question and wonder why the hell coffee, where it's like chocolate coffee, is called mocha. So why? The name is derived from the city of Mocha, Yemen, which was one of the centers of early coffee trade. Like latte, the name is commonly shortened to just mocha. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess they would just associate the chocolatey taste once they actually knew what chocolate was like, I guess. Okay, just give me one quick second because this has... Okay, 
So in the early days of coffee's globalization, Yemen benefited from a monopoly on the world's coffee bean production, their most coveted export, the mocha bean. In its originating term, mocha referred to beans imported from Al-Mocha, a Yemeni port city that once reigned as a supreme center for trade and commerce during Yemen's coffee hold in the 17th century. Mocha beans consisted of a variety of Arabica coffee beans harvested in neighboring mountain regions in central Yemen, notably not in Al-Mocha. After they were harvested, the beans would be roasted and then they would be shipped to the ports. So basically, they were easily recognized for their strange shape and yellow-green hue compared to their browner, flatter Arabica cousins. So it's just the Yemeni port. The rich, oily things. Were, oh, it looks like they were more popular. So this is specifically where it became more known for richer tasting coffee. So when we're thinking of like the chocolatey, sweeter kind of coffee, the ones that, oh, okay, that's why they would call it mocha. Also, I got that from Coffee or Die, which... Is oh, a website. Oh, no, no. That's, Coffee or Die magazine. No, that, that's from Black Rifle Coffee. That's hey, what that's from. I love Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where that's from. Interesting. Okay. Well, good to know. Hey, I learned something in this one for this. Hey, that's nice. Awesome. Thanks, Google. <laughs> okay. So that plant and the black drink was just, it, it became a huge thing. And that's where mocha then comes from. But before coffee became our morning beverage of choice, it appeared in a variety of different kinds of preparations. Because we're, we're talking about what they were just doing with the bean after it was roasted and or ground and etc. In its most basic form, the unprocessed coffee fruit, it was, it was kind of like a cherry. It becomes red when it's ripe and the coffee bean is found at the center of the red coffee fruit. Which I did not realize. I thought when I was a kid that coffee was a nut. I thought that's what it was. I thought it was a type of nut. And I didn't realize there was a fruit that actually surrounded it. I'm going to take you to Trinidad and show you how they make coffee. I would and love chocolate. to see it. I would love to see it. No, because I, I knew I knew chocolate. I knew chocolate because I knew the cacao. I knew that. But I didn't realize for the longest time that coffee was also like cacao in that sense. Except it's a bunch of individual tiny little berries. It's not it's not like, you know, you have the pod, you have the cacao pod, and it's not just one little bean that's inside. You have a lot of them, right? Right. Okay, so you got that, but individually harvesting each one of those little cherry beans? Oh, oh, I, I can think that's a lot. All right. But early on, these fruits were mixed with animal fat in order to create a kind of protein-rich snack bar. And at one point, the fermented pulp was used to make a wine-like concoction. And incidentally, a similar beverage was made from the cacao fruit before the advent of chocolate, which goes to show that humans always, throughout all of history, we're just going to try to find new ways to drink stuff and eat stuff. And they, like that that's how we go. You know, it's, it, it really how it is. But another drink that appeared around 1000 AD was made from the whole coffee fruit, including the beans and the hull. It wasn't until the 13th century that people began to roast coffee beans in the first step of the process to make coffee. Like, you know, what we know of today as literally coffee. So the word coffee has roots in several different languages. So in Yemen, which is, you know, we were just covering that here as you were bringing up that thing about mocha, it earned the name kawa which was originally a romantic term for wine. It later became the Turkish kave, then the Dutch kofi, and finally coffee in English. So the modern version of roasted coffee originated in Arabia. This is where a lot of the contention specifically comes from, because while the plant may have originated in Ethiopia, a lot of the practices that we associate for actually drinking and preparing coffee, these were popularized if they didn't come from Arabia itself and it was very popular with the Muslim community for its stimulant powers which served to be you know like in the case of the monks very useful during long prayer sessions by parching and boiling the coffee beans it rendered them infertile and Arabs were able to then corner the market on coffee crops because no one else was then be able to really produce them in the same kind of way now this is not the first item to effectively be cornered for Middle Eastern powers, and I know we have covered this many, many different times, but it's important that I touch upon it now as well, and that is trade and monopolies. See, one of the major motivating factors of the European Age of Exploration was specifically for a search, or the search for direct access to the highly lucrative Eastern spice trade. In the 15th century, spices would come to Europe via the Middle East, via land routes or sea routes, etc., 
But those sea routes were always through, like, you know, the Persian Gulf, through the Arabian Sea. Like, this is where it would go. And these spices were in huge demand for the food dishes and also for medicine in Europe. But the problem was that Europe didn't really have access to this market by sea where they could effectively control things themselves. It was owned by the varying Islamic powers. So accordingly, you had explorers like Christopher Columbus, Vasco da Gama, etc., and they set out to find a maritime route from Europe to Asia. In the west, Columbus found a new continent in his way, but to the south, da Gama did round Cape of Good Hope around Africa, and he sailed up the coast of East Africa and across the Indian Ocean to reach India. So from 1500 onwards, first Portugal and then other European powers, they attempted to control the spice trade and the ports which marketed spice. Eventually, they also then tried to control the territories that grew them as well. So colonialism over that time, it evolved. At first, it was about trade. Then it was about controlling the ports. Then it was actually about controlling the land that produced the goods that was then sent to ports. Okay, so I just had this brilliant idea for a meme that I need to make. Do you know that one gif of, and yes, I say gif, bite me, um, of Pam from The Office going, um, what's the difference between these two pictures? And she goes, it's, it's the, the same, same picture. Thing. Yeah. So Columbus and Da Gama, and you show a picture of India and <laughs> Caribbean, and he just goes, it's the same picture. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. That would, yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that. That's actually quite fitting. But you know what's interesting there as well? They're looking for spices. The word that we think of as spice, like when you think of spice, what do you think? All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. Today could be the day a famous mobster met their end or the first milestone for humans in space. Who knows what history today holds? Find out when you listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. Flavor? Flavor. Okay, good. It's not just hot. Because a lot of people think spice. Oh, that means that it's spicy. It's hot. No. Who thinks spice means spicy? It depends. You get people that do. That's just how people roll I'm not judging. I just want to talk. <laughs> I just, I just want to talk. I was not making a fist. I wasn't. This was just a coincidence. That the Indian heritage is coming out for you right now, and you're like, I just want to talk. talk. I just want to talk. <laughs> but so, in the early days of the modern period, spice was a term that was liberally applied to any and all kind of exotic natural products that ranged from pepper to sugar, just herbs, even animal secretions. Which, yeah, animal secretions were used for a number of things because they would, for like medicine or other stuff. Yeah, you know, we're going to get into weird medicine and all Explain the... Explain secretions. List. Like, which specific secretion? We'll, we'll get into that in no, the future. No, I need to know we'll right get now. In, we'll get into Just that in the future. give me one example. Okay, one example of something that was used, and this was exceptionally popular later on, though it wasn't at this time, but uh, guano. So poop. like bat poop and bir like bird poop for it here as well. I watch Animal um, Planet. So I know. It was guano was exceptionally valuable as a trade commodity because that is where you got a uh, uh, potassium nitrate from which was used for gunpowder. That's not that weird. That's not that weird. So you know, I was thinking weirder, so this was just normal. I mean, do we really want to go into the history of Chinese medicine and all the varying things they use different animal parts for? Yes. Okay. Uh, Not now, but no. next time. We can do one on weird medicine. Weird medicine would probably be a really good podcast episode in and of itself. It would be a very good podcast. Also, <laughs> you need one in an episode. It's true. It's true. It's true. You could do it by different regions. It also is probably nightmare fuel, fuel as well. We've been watching Supernatural. Nothing else is nightmare fuel. I don't know. I think a ground up rhinoceros penis is probably one of those That's things. That's literally not that unhinged. Like, I'm so sorry. It's not that unhinged, she it's said. It's really it's not. It's not that unhinged. Listen, if they thought it worked, and it kind of, I guess, maybe worked, why is it so... I'm not phased by that. Like, it wasn't attached to rhinoceros anymore. Like, let them grind it, it up. 
Gabby, remind me to never ask you to be my lawyer here for when you're like, oh, that person, they cut off his head. It wasn't attached to his body anymore, but it's like... Yeah, like, I mean, he wasn't using it. He wasn't using it anymore. I mean, what am I to say? What is that laugh? You've done it twice. I don't know. It's how I think about when you're making an argument sometimes. You think I sound like that? Oh, oh my- if you're like doing this or something, I don't know. You think that's me. Is my voice that deep? No, not at all. It's it's a joke for it's it's a different thing. Okay, okay, okay. Moving on, moving on. See, spices, as we're getting back into it after the whole little tangent about rhinoceros penis and other things, they had been imported from the Far East into Europe since antiquity, like for a long, long time, like going back literally thousands of years. And Europeans had over time naturally developed a very definitive liking for them. I mean, part of the attraction was the fact that it provided flavor for dishes. There is this long-term belief. It's like, oh, people wanted spices because that way it would cover up the spoiled meat. It's like, no, that wasn't the case at all. They wanted spices because, A, it would make stuff taste good. And simultaneously, the attraction was they were rare. You know how people who are rich nowadays will buy really stupidly expensive stuff even though they don't need it, but they do it as a way to show off their wealth? That is what people did with spices. The first time that spices were ever brought back to uh, to, to Europe from uh, like the Portuguese route to Asia, they only came back with these two small chests of spices. But the value of spice that was in those two little chests was enough that the crew basically would not have to work in an, uh, for a day in their life for the rest of their life. Like they were set. It was... It was done. Like, they they were set. That's how valuable this stuff was. And so that made this spice not only very valuable to, like, people who wanted food, but as a kind of status symbol for the wealthy. They, they would be added to wine. They would be crystallized and turned into treats. They would be used as medicine. They would be used for everything. And coffee would be, while it wasn't initially one of these desired spices, it did become highly sought after in the late 17th century in Europe, and it it grew in popularity more over time. But like sugar, Europe didn't just want to buy coffee. They wanted to control it themselves and produce it themselves. So European travelers that had gone to the Near East, they brought back stories of this unusual dark black beverage, and by the 17th century, coffee had made its way to Europe and was becoming popular across the continent. Some people reacted to this beverage with suspicion or fear or that kind of thing. They called it the bitter invention of Satan. The local clergy condemned it when it came to Venice in 1615. But it was spreading throughout the Christian lands, and it had a very strange and kind of undesirable effect. Or, I mean, I guess undesirable depending on who you asked. You see, the common people loved it. They loved coffee. But those who were ruling, they saw it as a threat. It seemed to have this very particular dangerous effect when people consumed it in social settings. Like... In fact, this was treated as a kind of social problem in the Middle East where it originated, specifically in places like Turkey, where one sultan outlawed the drink under pain of death. Because while alcohol left people drunk and inept, coffee made them energized, alert, and imaginative, which led to people hatching plots of, you know, sedition against the government. Which, I mean, is not exactly wrong. Like, Gabby, let me ask you this. You see a bunch of college students hanging out in a Starbucks, right? They're griping about the government. They're complaining about society. They're doing like it's that stereotypical image of the hipster drinking their coffee, complaining about the man, right? So me. I mean, they're, they're, literally me. <laughs> they're that okay? Yes, yeah, I know you do that here, but you you know how that's a stereotype associated with college students in uh in like either bars or coffee houses, right? Yeah. Okay. So imagine if instead of 20-something-year-old college students who are horribly in debt and not able to actually make any kind of significant change, if instead it was military officers that were meeting discussing politics. Who are also unable to make any kind of significant change. Oh, no, they have control over the military. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, so that's kind of where this thing comes from. 
You see, in 1633, the Ottoman Sultan, Murad IV, he cracked down on coffee because he believed that it was provoking social decay and disunity in the capital of Istanbul. You see, the risk of disorder associated with his practice was so dire that apparently he declared that transgressors would be immediately put to death. And by some accounts, though this is very likely legend and exaggeration, he would stalk the streets of Istanbul, whipping out a massive sword to decapitate whoever he found drinking coffee, which that whole thing is, it, it's fake, that's not real, but it still shows what it is that was professed at the time. I mean, odd as though it may sound, Murad IV was neither the first nor the last person to crack down on coffee drinking. He was arguably just the most brutal and successful in his efforts, at least while he was alive. Between the early 16th and the late 18th century, there was a host of religious influences and secular leaders. Many, but hardly all of them, were in the Ottoman Empire, where this threat seemed to be the biggest, and they took a crack at suppressing the Black Brew. Which you may wonder, okay, why? Why the Ottomans? What am I talking about with these military officers? It was very common for the Janissaries, which, wait, Gabby, do you remember what Janissaries were? I know I covered this before, I think, when I was doing the episode on the Ottoman harem. Everybody knows who Janissaries are. Okay. I don't know how to explain. I, I don't know how they explain. Military. <laughs> Janissaries are military. That's all I got. Yes. Yes, they are. Okay. So for anyone that needs a refresher, the gist of Janissaries is what they were, is that Janissaries were slave soldiers. They were Christian children who had been kidnapped or sold by their parents or captured and they were sold to the ottomans converted to islam and raised as soldiers hold up this is not what i thought janissaries were so apparently everyone does not know what those are <laughs> that was my bad i want to formally apologize so that's the um that's the gist of what they were the thing about the Janissaries, is that by virtue of who they were, they could not hold real political power. Like you had, they, they were the elite soldiers of the army, yes, but because they were foreigners, because they were outsiders, they technically speaking, for the longest time, could not hold any kind of political office or real power within the empire. So they were viewed as a safer alternative. Like you wouldn't have noble families that were trying to take over the military and thus lead the country into civil war but janissaries are still people they're still going to have political thoughts they have such a privileged position that they became a kind of new nobility and they wanted to protect that position so these janissaries would meet in coffee houses discussing politics effectively and the ruling powers did not like that so that they began to crack down on all these coffee houses because they didn't want people discussing the politics there because that's where people would meet for, you know, social things. Alcohol is a bit different because a bunch of people get drunk and, well, you know, maybe your plans don't come to fruition because you passed out drunk. You drink coffee and you're like, you know what? No, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's kind of the thought process that was behind it. Like, okay, so this controversy, though, with coffee was so great that Pope Clement VIII was asked to actually intervene on it. And so he, this pope, he decided to taste the beverage for himself before making a decision and apparently found the drink to be so satisfying that he gave it papal approval. Because, you know, at the time here, you have all these clergy members that are up in arms going like, oh, oh it's, it's literally a drink of the infidel because it's, you know, coming from Islam. Well, or at least from Islamic communities, like that's where it, it really arose from for the Europeans. So they're like, oh, no, we can't have this. But the Pope had him was like, damn, I like this. Like, according to legend, what happened was that he was determined to try it for himself in order to determine what would happen with it. So he was brought a steaming mug of coffee, took a sip, but apparently loved it so much that he remarked, this devil's drink is delicious. We should cheat the devil by baptizing it. So apparently coffee got baptized, and that's why we're allowed to have it in Europe, or at least why it became a thing. But have they considered if someone wasn't baptized? Well, I mean, you also have to remember that at this point it's the 1600s, so Protestantism is a thing, which means that even if the Pope doesn't approve something, I mean, it doesn't mean that any others are going to do. But remember, oh, I forgot about that. Remember the whole thing we talked about with potatoes? 
Like yeah. the, literally the first episode. Remember the Catholic or the French hated it because it was a Protestant vegetable, but the English hated it because it was a Catholic vegetable. Yeah, people are weird with religion and food. That's um. Yeah, they baptized coffee. I'm getting exactly that vibe. Yeah, well, I mean, they may have. According to the legend, that's precisely what happened. But the rest of it is really history. Due to the papal blessing, coffee really quickly spread throughout Europe and eventually the world, where it remained a very popular drink. I mean, it, didn't, it wasn't without controversy. And despite those controversies, coffee houses were quickly becoming centers of social activity and communication all over the varying countries. Like, they were appearing all over France. They were appearing all over England. As, as an example... In England, they had uh, coffee houses were called penny universities. That's one of their names because for the price of a penny, a person could purchase a cup of coffee and engage in stimulating conversation because basically people weren't drunk. They were, you know, energized. They were drinking coffee. They were discussing politics and math and other, other, other stuff like that. still like religions where people aren't allowed to drink caffeine around the world right now. Aren't? Isn't it Mormons? Aren't Mormons yeah. one of them? Yeah, like Coca-Cola. I think um one of the universities, Mormon universities, they just got a Coca-Cola machine or they got Coca-Cola in their drink vending machines. And that was a huge deal for them, but not everyone drinks it still. That's, I really do wonder what things are going to look like in a couple of decades regarding that, considering how arguably, quote unquote, quickly things move now in comparison to what they did, say, several hundred years ago. Oh, also, since the Pope baptized the coffee, maybe you should baptize your Tableau blend, your coffee blend. Just just have it shipped to my house where I go, hey, yo, do but your best. But if you pour water on it, that would kind of ruin it. <laughs> oh, I just sprinkle water. Just sprinkle water on their coffee <laughs> they, and send it back just, to them. They just get shipped like kind of muddy cake. Like it's not even coffee grounds anymore. It's like, you know what happens when you take your coffee out of the... um. Out of like one of those little refillable prefill containers that isn't a Keurig or something, you know, one of those refillable cups, and it's like kind of cake to it. Grounds. Yeah, I know, but it's coffee grounds, but it's like cake to the side, like it's kind of solid mass. Like, oh, 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 I know. It kind of seems like the magnetic sand that Joya uses, like her daughter. It looks like a really bad GI sample. Once you're like done wetting it, you just mail it back to them. For those of you who don't know what GI would be in that case, uh, as my wife is a scientist in a lab, that would be a gastrointestinal sample, meaning poop. That that That's a poop joke. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a weird segue. I know. Okay, okay, okay. So actual things for coffee. Over time, coffee becomes way more popular. It begins to replace common breakfast drinks at the time, which... Gabby, do you know what people drank before that pretty much? Beer. Yeah, beer and wine and other stuff. Like, that was the God, most common thing. I feel like that was so loud into the microphone. I am so sorry. She was excited over beer. Throughout history, royals across the world were notorious for incest. They married their own relatives in order to consolidate power and keep their blood blue. But they were oblivious to the havoc all this inbreeding was having on the health of their offspring. From Egyptian pharaohs marrying their own sisters to the Habsburgs' notoriously oversized lower jaws. I explore the most shocking incestuous relationships and tragically inbred individuals in royal history. And that's just episode one. On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Join me every Tuesday for new episodes of the History Tea Time podcast, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. <laughs> but the, the thing is, by drinking coffee, by starting your day like this, you actually begin the day energized. And, you know, what people saw was the quality of work over time was increasing because people were going in, you know, to work energized and not half drunk at like 7 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> I mean, some people do prefer to do that now anyway, but that was way, way, way more common several hundred years ago. So we like to think of it as this is the precursor to why all these different offices have coffee machines inside them in their break room because, you know, they want people to be alert and functioning. 
By the mid-17th century, there were over 300 coffee houses in London, which attracted all different kinds of patrons, from merchants, shippers, brokers, nobles, artists, like anyone and everyone could go to one of these things, though obviously you would have different ones that catered to other clientele. And many businesses would grow out of these specialized coffee houses. In the mid-1600s, coffee was brought to New Amsterdam, which later on would be taken over by the British, and then become New York. Which, yeah, in case you didn't know this little fun fact, New York used to be New Amsterdam because it was originally a Dutch colony. So though coffee houses rapidly began to appear all over Europe, tea continued to be the favorite drink of people in the New World until 1773, when, Gabby, can you, can you guess what happened there? No, I can't guess what happened. 1773, leading up to 1776, regarding America. What happened in 1776? Oh, well, I mean, to be fair, you became an American. It's the American Revolution. 1776, like the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Ooh, that's such a good year for that to happen. Okay, so... Wait, I feel like I knew that and I just forgot the exact... Who remembers dates? I don't even know my own birthday. Well, the gist of it is, in the years leading up to it, there was a series of events, one of which was the Boston Tea Party, which in 1773, they dumped all of that tea into the harbor. Now, little side note, I remember reading something where they did the math on just how much tea was dumped... And if you want to look at the actual cost and value of tea, which at that time, tea was way more valuable than it is nowadays. That tea was the equivalent of several, I think it was hundred of millions of dollars worth of tea that they just dumped. Good. Like that. So that coffee can rise as the supreme drink. No, literally, that is precisely what happened once this was occurring. And, you know, they had the taxes on teas and all this. Americans all over were going, well, no, screw that. We're just going to get coffee. So that's how coffee became more popular in America, because not drinking tea was a thing that was done as a kind of boycott for it. Like there's this quote by Thomas Jefferson that said, coffee, the favorite drink of the civilized world. Because, you know, they, they, had to, they had to give all those jabs there towards the British, which was a thing. so mean. Literally, it's how people would act. Like, that's what they would do. And so over time, you saw plantations spring up everywhere across the New World. And this is what led to, really, the coffee boom. By the late 1800s, coffee had become a worldwide commodity. And entrepreneurs all over the world were looking for new ways to profit from it. So... Naturally, they were selling coffee before. Can you guess what the next step is after coffee? It can't hit here. It's related to what we're doing with our coffee. Like, what is our coffee? Like, we're not selling the beans. What are we doing? A blend? Correct. Well, I mean, we're selling the blend, but we're selling the already ground roasted coffee. Yeah. Before, people were literally just buying the beans. Like, we're not even talking pre-roasted. buy the beans. I know, but it's like that is the more common thing is what people are doing is they're buying pre-roasted, pre-packaged ground coffee, right? Like, that is the majority of the overwhelming majority of purchases. That was not how it was always done. That really wasn't a thing until the mid-1800s. And so, uh, what what was it? Uh, Folgers. Folgers, Maxwell House, all those really big brands that we think nowadays that are like the huge generic coffee brands. They were some of the people, like the original merchants and businessmen, that developed that. Oh, speaking of Folgers, I boycotted Folgers. Not really. It's not great. But do you remember the Folgers commercial, like the Christmas commercial? The really creepy sibling commercial? I think I do. Oh, my God. It was iconic. I mean, literally to this day, I cannot think of Folgers without thinking of how uncomfortable that commercial made me. Oh, okay. (laughs) And if you don't know what I'm talking about, like, just Google Folgers sibling commercial. The controversy, you guys. It was beautiful. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Was this the one where it's like she shows up at his doorstep or something? No, no, no. It's like the brother comes home and then I guess like really, the interaction is like written by someone who's never had a sibling. I don't know. It's just really weird. There's literally like, okay, or maybe I'm just from a weird part of the internet. Oh, no, I'm revealing too much. But anyway, maybe it's just because of Tumblr. But there was like fan fiction. And these were siblings, you guys. Anyway, how did we end up here? You started, I started talking about Folgers and that immediately brought up the commercial they did to you. Yeah, because it literally just like, 
It's all folders rings up in my mind now. <laughs> but to finish this off, that is how generic coffee pretty much started. Starting in the mid-1900s, you started to see more awareness towards specialty coffee, which began to grow over time, and that inspired the opening of the very first Starbucks in Seattle in 1971. Today, there's all different kinds of grassroots coffee movements that are continuing to grow all across the country. Like, you're just going to see random little coffee houses, specialty houses, uh, special roasts, different things that rise up in different points. And people are very keen now on a lot of the more sustainable, locally roasted, fair trade beans, etc. I mean, coffee itself has become a kind of artistic trade, one that fi like finds a lot of complexity in and value in flavor it's it's almost like wine, pretty much. Like, you know how people have specialty wines? Like, that is what coffee has become. You have specialty coffee. Hell, even Starbucks, which at one point was in time was specialty, now Starbucks pretty much is generic. It's the generic specialty. That's what it is. And I mean, hey, if you want a fine coffee that tastes like a delicious cup of caffeinated hot chocolate and you really want to um, explore that flavor, hint, hint, then check out Lewis and Dark. Did you, did you did you did you see what I did there, Gabby? They, sure, Steve. They they have to explore it, like like Lewis and Dark. You should give them the Mercury. Was it Mercury? The Mercury Lewis and Clark fun fact. Oh yeah, fun fact. Okay, so here we're gonna finish things off right here. Um, Lewis and Clark took medicine in their journey. What they did to avoid malaria is they took mercury pills. Which was actually one of the very common treatment uh, treatments that people would have as a kind of preventative to stop them from getting sick. The irony of this, it sounds terrible. It actually worked, but it worked because mercury was poisonous, right? So it would kill any and all bacteria that could cause gut problems and all kinds of things. But simultaneously, the mercury was also damaging your body. It's pretty much like... um. Imagine if you were ingesting chemo to where it's killing the cancer cells, but also it's targeting you as well. And that was mercury medicine. But before we really finish things up, of course, it is time for the end of the show, which is when we do our listener story. So the listener story that was submitted to us actually comes from Aaron Moore, who wrote, Hey, Stakuyi and Gabby, been listening for a while and love the stuff. Found you on TikTok and have been following there too. Probably will have to jump on Patreon as well. Oh, hey, thank you. Yeah, for those of you listening, if you uh, want to avoid commercials or anything like that, but besides the ones in which I tell you about coffee or the books or other stuff, you know what I mean, the, like the actual general commercials, check out Patreon because you can uh, join for a dollar a month and you get bonus episodes when you, uh, when you do that. So, this story is from my grandfather, Kenneth Moore. Long before he passed, a long time ago, he related to me a story of the first testing of the atomic bomb. Now, I don't remember for certain if this was his story or someone else's in the family. I honestly can't remember, but I believe it was his, so I'm going to tell it like that. You see, while the war was raging in Europe and the Pacific, my grandfather worked in a railroad yard in Belen, New Mexico. I do at least remember that much. I remember him saying when the atomic bomb was tested, he was working in the rail yard, and all of a sudden, night turned to day. For a brief moment, everything stopped. The work stopped. Sounds faded away, and everyone stared in shock, and as it slowly faded away, everyone remained in a standstill. Slowly, people started to come to and started questioning what the hell it was. Some people believed it was a sign from God himself that the war was over. While they weren't quite right, they weren't quite wrong either, as we know how that ends. Either way, it wasn't until information became more public that my grandfather found out what it was that he saw. I remember him talking about it many years later, and I believe it was in the late 90s, and he spoke with such awe, reverence, and fear that it still gets to me. He had a good life afterward, joining the U.S. Army for the Korean War and becoming a lineman, later establishing most of the AT&T telephone lines in small towns across New Mexico. He also built and got me even more, or no, he also built telephone lines for Moriarty Air Force Station, ooh, that is actually pretty cool, which got me even more into history. History is all around us, and it deserves to be shared and remembered. Thank you for your time. Even if you don't share the story with anyone else, at least I wanted to share it with you. Well, back to work on my military history degree, with a concentration in American military history, of course. These planes aren't going to fix themselves either, so back to work there, too. Wishing both of you all the best, and I have to say, I'm proud of you guys. 
keep doing you from senior airman aaron moore united states air force well damn my friend thank you very much that is actually awesome i love that story i've covered nuclear devices a couple times i've coupled the dumb stuff i've covered i've covered the um those are all on patreon though oh shoot you're right they are have i done anything that is on the main one no i know what it is the first time that we were trying to do a podcast before we actually had the podcast we put the dumb nuclear stories up on youtube that's what it was that's what we did and we haven't done one since I would love to do a podcast episode on the Manhattan Project. Actually, that could be a whole series in and of itself, but that's besides the point. I should cover more nuclear stuff. If there's anything that you all want to hear, please do let me know. Hell, join Patreon and put it in the comments of the bonus episodes that I put. And don't forget to submit your own family history stories on the website. The link is in the podcast description. I do hope that you all have a good rest of your day. And thank you very much for joining and listening to our stories today. And thank you, Aaron Moore, for submitting your family member. I hope you all have a good rest of your day, and goodbye. Bye. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.